0: Please be advised that the content of the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Goltz for the Grave Tales, the series podcast. Today, from the Grave Tales, True Crime, volume one book, The Wayward Ally Murderer, Private Edward Leonsky. Fair haired, boyish, charming, and American. Edward Leonsky was one of thousands of American soldiers camping on our shores in 1942 on the way to the war front. But Leonski never got to war and three Melbourne women lost their lives at his hand. This is the story of the Brownout Strangler.
1: Before I go into why the story makes me angry, let's look at what Melbourne was like at that time. So we're talking 1942. Yep. We've got thousands of American soldiers mm. arriving on our shores. Thousands of thousands and a thing called the Brownout Do you want to explain what
0: a brownout is? Yeah, well, we not only had thousands of Americans, we had thousands of Australians in transit from one place to the other as well. And so places that weren't usually used to having large numbers of people suddenly found themselves with it. And Melbourne was one of them. There were camps for Americans all over the place. It it was kind of like another invasion. I mean, there's some marvellous pictures around of American troops playing baseball, of all things, on uh, the Carlton football ground, Mm. which is not far from where this whole Leonsky matter happened. Australians were moving around too. My father on his way to, to Wagga from Tassie's first night accommodation was a, a bench at the MCG. Wow. That's where he slept. So there were troops all over the place, all over the country and Leonsky was one of them.
1: That gives you an idea of the atmosphere as you can imagine too. So we've got a city that is basically in a brown out phase, which means at night time the lights are dimmed. Uh, not not blacked out, no. but browned out. So they're dimmer than they usual. There's Thousands of allies here, you know, who I can we consider our friends and bear in mind too, they were very charming. The ladies found them very charming. They were overpaid, the old motto, oversexed, overpaid and over <laughs> Everyone had heard it. Yeah. And that was what the Australians, some of the resentful Australians felt. Because when they first came here, of course, you know we were probably all very excited There, we needed the alliance, it was important, mm. but it wasn't long before, you know, being over, sexed, overpaid and over here took impact. Everything from their sodas to their stockings to their sex to their bigger salaries yep. made them uh, suddenly not as um, desirable and likeable by the men, but certainly desirable by the women. And up to 12,000 of our ladies went home yeah. to the US war after brides. war brides, yep. which would have been tough too.
0: So what was the story with Leonski? I mean, who was he?
1: Well, Leonsky was a 25-year-old private. He was fair-haired, middle-height, powerfully built, prided himself on uh, his bodybuilding. He was athletic. He was boyish. So he was child number six to Russian immigrants to the US. Uh, And he had, you know, the old bad childhood. I mean, all of our crime stories always seem to have a bad childhood. But he had a bad childhood. His father was an alcoholic. Uh, He left the family when Leonsky was six. His mother, Amelia, remarried. She married another chronic alcoholic. She had a breakdown. She was institutionalised for a while in an asylum. He had two brothers, both with prison records. The third brother was in a psychiatric hospital. They were a bit of a dysfunctional family. Sounds like it. Except for a sister who was described as respectable and hard Okay, there
0: you go. Bless
1: her. But anyway, Leonsky was the apple of his mother's eye and his mother's favourite, and he was very attached to her. Mm. Bear that in mind and we'll come back to it. He blamed his stepfather for her demise.
0: Did he have any education?
1: Only up to year 11, so our equivalent to year 11, so yep. junior high. Okay. But you know, he was a bright kid. He went out, he worked in clerical roles. He was called to serve his country in 1941. But it was when he was stationed with the 52nd Signal Battalion at San Antonio in Texas, heavily drinking, as were his role models that he grew up with, yeah. that he tried to strangle a woman. And this is why I'm a little angry about this, because, you know, at that point in time, he was let off. And I guess there was a war on, every man was needed to serve him. What a great solution. We'll just send him off to war. Mm. And they did, and they sent him to Australia. And, of course, three of our women would pay the price for that. So he's over here, he's already got problem with the alcohol, he's got problem with violence, and he's arrived on our shores.
0: So he was one of the Americans camping in, in Melbourne and their big base near Royal Park, not from where the zoo is?
1: That's correct, Camp Pell.
0: Yeah, and I guess uh, this was a transitory place, they were, he was heading somewhere else?
1: Yep, exactly. They were coming in and staying there before they headed to the front, or they were coming back and recuperating for a while here on reconnaissance before they went back again. So he was on his way here, ready to go to action, which he never saw. He was troubled while he was here. He allegedly tried to rape a woman in her St Kilda flat. The drunkenness that brought that on got him thirty days in the stockade. But he didn't come out sort of thinking, "Okay, I better have a good hard look at myself." He just kept on with it. So. Unfortunately, his job was to prepare breakfast, so they'd said that basically from mid-morning on he could drink himself into a stupor. He'd fight and entertain at the pubs and do acrobatics and stunt walking on his hand across a bar and all this, so he was a bit of a show pony.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, charming, fun, drinking too much, aggressive show pony.
0: Okay. When did the worst side of him start to yeah, show well, itself? It
1: was Sunday. 3rd of May 1942 and this is when the first murder happened. It was dim wartime lighting, so the Japanese air raid attacks were minimized. Mm-hmm. It was 2am and 40 year old Ivy McLeod was waiting for a tram in Victoria Avenue in near Albert Park. Mm-hmm. Now Ivy was separated from her husband. she'd had a supper out with a male friend and she told him not to worry to, not to bother to accompany her to the tram. she'd be all right. Now down on seeing this young American soldier over here to fight with us, yeah. she's probably greeted him as he's approached. He's murdered Ivy. She was strangled. Police believed at first that it was a lover who had murdered her, but that would soon be disproved. And we found out later what happened when he made a statement to the police. And he said,
2: My tram was a long time in coming. I got tired of waiting and started to walk up Victoria Street. I saw a girl standing by a doorway. She smiled. She stepped back into the doorway and I grabbed her. I grabbed her neck and I choked her. She fell and I fell on top of her her head hit the wall as she was falling I started to rip her clothes I ripped them and ripped them
1: Her body was found later in that morning in that very doorway between the two shops so a ladies hair salon and a dry cleaning shop so Ivy never made it home that night and Ivy was just a, an innocent woman out for an evening with a friend and murdered at the tram stop the full force of the law was thrown against her and detectives worked around the clock and, and women were frightened
0: I can remember my mother who was probably about 21 at that stage mm-hmm. in Melbourne telling me about the, the fear that was around and how everybody was afraid when these three murders and I think it was probably after the second one that everybody got very scared yeah. uh, the whole town changed um, the atmosphere in the place uh, changed considerably um, and she remembered it well yeah, uh, and she told me this when she was you know quite old yeah. uh, so it was still with it
1: but it's interesting isn't it because you're right after the first murder it might have been a lover it might have been someone she knew but when you've got a second murder yeah you know, then you've got potential murderer loose. And
0: they were reasonably close together, weren't they?
1: They were very close together. It would all happened within the matter of a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah.
1: Leonsky has taken Ivy's life and he's just returned then to his quarters, resumed normal duties. So nothing had happened. But one of his commanding officers, interestingly, said he was perpetually in trouble. Mm. Nothing really serious. It didn't seem intentional. He was just proud of his strength, demonstrated all the time, drank more than the average soldier. So it was less than a week before Leonsky would strike again. And this time it was very close to home for the police service because he killed a woman, a Melbourne victim, who was a wife of a Bendigo police constable. Now, it was Saturday 9th of May, 31-year-old Pauline Thompson was found lying on the steps of her home in Spring Street. Her clothes were in tatters. Interesting, you know, there was no sexual assault. He literally has just ripped their clothes off. Pauline's husband was still working as a constable in Bendigo Mm. and she was a choral singer. Her actual nickname was Coral he gave quite a lengthy interview to the paper. They discussed her coming to Melbourne to perform because there was a demand for concerts during wartime and she felt like she couldn't do much in Bendigo. Yep. They had a couple of children which stayed with him in Bendigo and she came out to Melbourne to perform and, and to do some of these concerts and events. since she was alone here living in that Spring Street house. So Leonski said later in his statement that he met her at a cafe and they proceeded to a hotel in Collins Street and had a bit of a drink there together. And then he went on to say...
2: We were talking about life, we got along swell together. When we left the hotel, she sang as we walked along. She was singing in my ear. It sounded as if she was singing for me. She had a nice voice. I grabbed her. I don't know why. She stopped singing. She told me I had a baby face, but I was wicked underneath.
1: So she was described as a beautiful pianist, a concert entertainer and radio personality. It was sad and it was frightening. As you said, we now had two women murdered within the space of a week, both with their clothes torn, Mm -hmm. strangled, and both innocent women just going about their business at night in this brownout, in this dim lighting, which no doubt worked to his advantage. Did
0: the police have any leads? Were they getting anywhere? Did they know they were looking for did they suspect that it might have been a soldier and if it was American
1: they did suspect it was an American soldier largely because Pauline or Coral was seen to see, having a drink with an American soldier earlier that night okay. and she left the hotel with him yep. clearly he was a suspect whoever that man was and we know he was Leonsky. They used to photograph of Pauline's face and put it on a mannequin and put it out for the public to see it in the hope somebody would step forward because somebody knew the killer. And one of the great tragedies about the story is that Leonsky confessed to a fellow soldier that he'd killed Pauline Thompson. You know, he'd had a few drinks and did a bit of boasting, said he killed her, said he was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr Hyde, had two personalities. But the other soldier didn't come forward and report that till the third victim was killed.
0: Maybe he thought he was just a nutter. Yeah. Um, I mean, here's this clown who, you know, drinks too much, uh, entertains us by being a fool, dances around on bar tops.
1: Mm. Yeah. Gladys Hosking is the third victim. I feel very sad for Gladys because she was actually quite frightened about the brown-out strangler. She was 40 years old. She often had dinner with her friends before she returned to her residence. She had a boarding house about... 350 metres from where she was found dead inside that Royal Park boundary yeah. and not far from Camp Pell where Leonsky was living. But her murder would be his undoing. So he'd been drinking at the Parkville Hotel and on his way home he saw her on the corner. Now she was on her way home from her dinner with friends. It was raining and he asked to share her umbrella. Now again, this is only another week or so after the last killing, so these are all very close together, these murders. Mm. And Gladys was already frightened by the situation. She'd said to her father in a letter about the brownout and the track of land near where she was living having been made into a military camp. She expressed nervousness about going out at night. But anyway, she went because that was where her routine was and she met her friend. So coming home, she's got the umbrella out, it's raining, yeah. and here's this young, handsome American soldier comes up to her, younger than she is, he's 25, she's 40, and he asked could he share her umbrella. This is what Leonski said in his statement to police.
2: It was a small girl. She was carrying an umbrella. It was raining and I asked her to let me walk along with her. She said, all right. We walked along the street. We came to her house. I asked her to walk on with me and show me the way to the camp. She said, all right. We came along and soon came to a very dark part of the street. She stopped and said, there's the camp over there. She had a lovely voice. I wanted that voice. I grabbed her by the throat. I choked her. She didn't even make a sound. She was so soft. I thought, what have I done?
1: Oh, I find that very heartbreaking, especially when she was frightened already going out. But her father said to the paper, which was very sad, she was a fastidious and refined girl. And it's terrible to think of what some maniac has done.
0: But there was a bit of a breakthrough with this one, wasn't there a clue?
1: Oh, there was. An Australian soldier went to the police after Gladys's body was found and he said that he'd seen a US soldier slipping under the fence of Royal Park. Now, he'd shone a torch into that soldier's face and it was muddied and he was covered in the yellow mud of the park. And he said to him, why are you so muddied? And the soldier, the US soldier told him, I fell over in a pool of mud going across the park. This soldier was Leonsky, mm. and he'd just murdered Gladys. He left a strangled body there to be found the next morning. So now the police not only had a clue that it was an American soldier, which they thought it was anyway from Pauline, but that he probably lived at Camp Pell given the proximity to the murder and heading home.
0: So I guess it was uh, all police to Camp Pell and let's see what we can find.
1: That was exactly it. So it took several days for them to work their way through the American soldiers there. But when they got to Leonski, the Yellow Clan, his shoes on the bed and on the tent matched the crime scene. And then the soldier that Leonski boasted to about murdering Pauline came through and said uh, he'd already confessed to him. So he was arrested. So it'd only been 15 days, three deaths, and the police had their man. Bear in mind the sensitivities at the time, because all yeah. these boys were over here as our allies. The current government, led by Prime Minister John Curtin, allowed Leonsky to face a US court-martial in Australia, which yeah. was quite unheard of.
0: I think it's totally unheard of, isn't yeah. it? I think it's the first...
1: First and only yeah. time ever. So he was declared sane and competent to answer questions, which is good and bad. He said himself he didn't want to be deemed insane because he didn't want to be kept locked up forever. But the problem with that, of course, too, is, you know, from the victim's perspective, you just think, why? during the trial a very interesting comment came up from a US private Mitchell Cappy he said to the court when Leonsky gets drunk his voice changes talks more like a girl creepy stuff talks to himself a lot other times it's like he was talking to someone else now one of the theories that doesn't get mentioned much and it might be a bit left of field is this gender issue the fact that he's talking like a female when he's drunk he hasn't sexually assaulted the women but he's torn their clothes. It makes me wonder if the, he had some gender issues himself.
0: Mm, probably not a topic that would have been addressed or even uh, encouraged to be brought forward in those days in the US military. No, absolutely not. In any military, probably.
1: No. He was said to be undisturbed by his fate. He spent time talking to the guards, playing drafts with them, reading, sketching his cell. And four months later, he was hanged at the Pentridge prison at 6am On 9th of November 1942, so 15 days to do three murders and and hanged within four months. It was all very fast.
0: And as you said, the only man hanged by a foreign court on Australian soil.
1: A couple of interesting perspectives on this. American forensic psychiatrist Frederick Wortham said it stemmed from his childhood and his relationship with his mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, He called it symbolic matricide. The fact that he was separated from his mother, deprived of her, and this wanting to hear these women's voices and killing for the voices was about that. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Strange stuff.
1: And a journalist, a prisoner of war, Ivan Chapman, wrote in his book, Leonski, The Brownout Strangler, if you want to have a good read, said that had he not confessed, he might not have been caught or might not have been found guilty because the 1940s forensic techniques would not have yielded a positive match at that stage to his trousers and the yellow mud could have been explained easily by a drunk soldier walking and falling over through the park. So in a way, it's a blessing that he did write the statements because then he could face the music for what he'd done.
0: So what happened after he was executed?
1: Well, he was buried a couple of times. He was 24 years old when he was executed. It was signed by General Douglas MacArthur himself, signed the death warrant. And he was buried in Australia at that point in time. And then... In 1947, there was a ruling that all wartime Americans buried in Australia would be relocated to American soil. So he was unearthed and interred in the Schofield Barracks Post Cemetery in Honolulu after that, and that's where he is today. So about seven years after he was executed, his body was dug up here and taken back to the US.
0: In the book, we pay respects to uh, Ivy Gladys and Pauline. Where are they?
1: That's right. These three ladies, such innocent victims... You can visit Ivy in Faulkner Memorial Park. She's in the Church of England section M, grave 1720. Gladys Hosking's in there as well. Uh, she's in the same section, Church of England section K, grave 1862. And you'll find Pauline Thompson, age 31, at time of death in Warringal Cemetery, in Heidelberg, Victoria. So a sad tale. As I said to you right from the start, this story makes me angry. He probably shouldn't have been on our shores in the first place but there was a war on and it was just an easy fix for this aggressive man yeah.
0: Let's get rid of him and send him over there and
1: it's a shame he didn't get sent straight to the battlefields and the other thing i'm angry about is that these poor innocent women simply going um, about their business going about their business were victims and left in such an undignified state by yeah. this man as well so it's an awful crime and from a man who was an ally
0: You've been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobooks. Music by Kai Engels. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on our website, or put together your own group and come along on our Great Ocean Road tour.